Well, good morning, church family and those that are watching online. Uh, it's so good to be back. Um, I enjoyed a couple weeks of vacation and uh, a little bit of time to participate in a community revival and do some pastoral um, activities, attend a, a couple online conferences, and it's been great hearing some of our other staff preach. You know, I preached 44 of the last 48 weeks. I was pretty tired, and you're probably kind of tired of me too. And to hear from Pastor Matt, to hear from Rick, uh, Dustin, and even Noah, hasn't that been phenomenal? They did such a great job, and we are so blessed as a staff. Uh, you know, I've always said that we've, we've got a really good staff, and it's been a delight to work with them through this pandemic. I mean, it's really, really been able to see their gifts and strengths, and uh, it doesn't mean that I'm senior pastor, that I'm the, the, the best preacher or the smartest leader. It just means I got here ahead of everybody else. So uh, this fall, actually in a month, Julie and I will have celebrated 25 years at Pikes Peak Christian Church, and we never thought we'd spend that long in one place. And there have been some, some tough times like what we're going through, but there are also those beautiful moments like last Sunday when I got to baptize a 70-some-year-old woman in that baptistry and, and see the joy on her face. And then yesterday, as we celebrated the life of one of our longtime elders and Bible teachers, Tino Savala, I mean, it was, it was probably the best funeral service I've ever participated in. Just the joy, the faith, the legacy that he's left with his family. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And so we are so glad to be involved in what God is doing. And I honestly believe that as hard as this year has been, there have been a lot of good things that have taken place. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, let me, let me share with you some of the things that have happened in 2020. Some of you have, have created some brand new memories with your families. Some have tackled home projects that have been waiting for a long time. Some have discovered that you are capable of teaching your children. Some have made intentional time for special friends. Some have developed new hobbies. Some of you have seen parts of the state you'd never seen before. Some of you have used the money you saved from not going out, not going on vacation, and the stimulus money to buy something you've, you've wanted to get. Others have read books, watched movies, caught up with TV shows, binged to see something someone else has recommended. Some of you have gone online to take courses or pursue a degree. And we've all learned, I think, that life doesn't revolve around sports. We can survive without it, can't we? You know, during this time, my wife and I decided it was a good time for our, our dog to get pregnant. And so, so little Snickerdoodle, that's our, our golden retriever poodle mix, uh, was pregnant this summer and then uh, was due yesterday. But the doctor, the vet, said uh, she may deliver early because the puppies look big. Now, when, when you see that, that uh, sonogram of the puppies, to me, I, I look and I can't see anything but clouds and storm coming but they, they are like, there's one, and there's one, and there's one, and they said they're, they're, they're bigger than normal, so it could come early. Well, Wednesday is my day to work on the sermon. So I was engrossed in my sermon, and uh, about 11.30, I get a tap on the door. My assistant, Connie, comes in, and she's, she's like grinning ear to ear, and she says, oh, my goodness, look at this picture of one of your puppies. I said, our puppies? How come I don't know about this? So I grabbed my phone, which I had over here, and I shut off. I looked, I said, oh, yeah, my wife sent me a picture of the puppy, and she said, I could really use you at home right now. <laughs> so I packed up, came home, changed my clothes, and went into the delivery room to help the midwife. And so for the next four and a half hours, we watched our, our beautiful dog deliver nine little puppies. 
it's, it's a disturbing process. <laughs> I'm so glad my wife enjoyed it much more than I did. I won't go into detail, but just watch Dr. Pohl on the, on the TV. Whatever vets do, God bless them, but I would never want to be a vet. But some of these puppies came out breech. Four of them were breech. And when they came out, they, were, they looked lifeless. And so Julie would put them in a towel, and she would vigorously rub them with the towel. And, and I thought, take it easy. It's just a little puppy. She's rubbing it. And then she'd hear a whimper. It was like the puppy just came to life. <clears throat> and she said, the dogs need to expel the mucus and stuff that's in their nasal passages so they can breathe. And just like, you know, when a baby's born, the doctor smacks that baby on the rump. It's not to hurt the baby. It's to get the baby to expel, you know, in a, in a sharp, ex, you know, ex, expelation of air to clear out the passages so they can live. It's necessary for life. And, you know, it just made me think of this whole pandemic period. It's gone on for months. It feels like, it feels like an extended pregnancy, like we're waiting for something to happen. What's, what's going to be the, the thing that comes out of all this? And I believe God is wanting to smack us on the bottom and say, wake up. Wake up, church. I'm about to birth something, and you're not ready for it. So I believe God is at work in the midst of all this. This started back late February, March. We knew there's a virus kind of invading the land. And it really took off in March. And we recognize this is a serious physical issue. Infections are on the rise. We need to do something to stop the curve. And so we, we shut down schools, churches, a lot of businesses, and said, we've got to flatten this curve and, and, and slow down the number of people going into the hospitals or overwhelming the hospitals. And we did everything we could to physically protect ourselves, put on protective gear, sanitized everything, kept distance from one another. By the way, I just learned this week a great thing that, that we shouldn't call it social distancing, but physical distancing, because we need to be socially intimate. But anyway, we, we did all those things to help flatten the curve, and things died down, but then they came up again as, as we reopened. And we're dealing with this yo-yo of a uh, fluctuating infection number. I know there's a lot of debate over all this, but the fact is there's a serious physical issue going on. But what it's created, almost underneath all this and unaware to many people, is a serious emotional pandemic. And while the physical thing may affect a percentage of the population, the emotional toll has been felt by just about everybody. We lost our routines of going to work and going to school. We were, we were isolated from our loved ones, not, not even able to see sometimes own family members. Inability to go out, to go out to eat, go out to the movie, go out to the park, or go to the gym to expel this energy of the tension that's building up within us. We canceled significant life experiences, birthday parties, graduations, weddings, mission trips, anniversary outings. It's taken a toll on all of us. And, and we've tried, and praise God that we have technology. We've tried to fill the gap with Zoom calls and online church and, and go to meetings. But it's not replaced the benefit of face-to-face -face interaction with people. We've watched the economy tank. We've watched politicians argue with one another. We've watched the medical community change opinions back and forth. Uh, we've watched people struggle to come up with a vaccine. In the midst of all this were racial protests and the, and, and the, and the awareness of the injustices that, that still exist in our nation. And the result is we've produced great fear, anxiety, loneliness, confusion, frustration, 
anger and despair. And then on top of this, you throw in a hailstorm like we had, had just this past Wednesday night. And I was visiting a lady Wednesday night, and she said, Pastor, I don't know if I can handle much more. How much more can you handle before you break? It's pretty heavy. It's heavyweight. That's why the rates of abuse are so high right now. Addictive behaviors, rampant. Crime and suicide, numbers are all up. And I know that when this dies down, many of you will bounce back pretty well, but there's a number of people that won't. And what they're experiencing right now will be a kind of PTSD that will take years, if not the rest of their life, to recover from. I've listened to many pastors much, much smarter than me and churches much larger than ours say this year has been the toughest year of ministry ever for them. And I would agree. It's not, it's not the physical demands, it's the emotional demands. Because if, if you're a leader of a church, in fact, if you're a leader in any capacity, if you're a leader of a business, if you're a government leader, if you're a school leader, you're dealing with the very same things we're dealing with. The, the difficulty making decisions. We've never, we've never done this before. We have nothing to draw from. We have no playbook to say how, how this should be done. And to not make a decision is cowardly. I mean, that's kind of the easy thing. Stay back, let these things play out. But it's cowardly. You can't do that. But then if you make a decision, it's costly. Because, because there's a number of people who will not be happy with your decision. And they'll have a good argument. Why? Very good argument. They'll even, they'll even link a video to it. Let me just give you one example. When and how churches should reopen. When, when that became possible, and we decided June 14th would be the day that we would reopen, some people felt like, wow, that's kind of late, isn't it? Other churches are already open. Some said, isn't that kind of early? The virus is still out there. There was questions of how strict to adhere to the governor's recommendations. I mean, if we did everything the governor recommended, it wouldn't feel like church. We wouldn't be able to really be church. But others said, well, is that right not to do that? Is it healthy not to do that? When we were thinking about reopening, the question was, what all do we reopen? I mean, there were people upset we didn't open children's ministry. There were people that actually were upset we didn't open the coffee bar. See, before COVID, we all came to church with kind of the, we knew what to expect. We knew what we're getting into. Not the way anymore. People have come back to church and said, ah, chairs are too close together. Everyone didn't wear a mask. Or I'm required to wear a mask. Or, you know, all kinds of things, and, and I'm going to leave. I'm going to walk out. You know, I, I feel so bad for our, our schools. They're going through the same thing. They recognize they are, they are affecting thousands of lives, not just the teachers, but parents, and most importantly, the students. But here's the truth. God has extended an offer to help, but we must want his help. And is there ever a time when the world needs the church to be praying than right now? I mean, God, God is calling us to stop being spectators and watching this thing play out, to be those that are actually helping to shape how this plays out. And we can do that through prayer. But here's the deal. What, what began as a, as a physical stress has caused some emotional issues that have now revealed spiritual realities. They've exposed that there's something else going on. And if you are not paying attention to the spiritual reality, you'll become a victim of it. 
And you can choose today to either be passive and be a victim or be active and be a victor in this war. You cannot win if you do not fight because there indeed is a battle going on, a spiritual battle. And the, 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 the treasure of this battle is you and your soul. See, this is a battle that's being waged. It's being waged for your soul. And the Apostle Paul reminded a group in a a city called Ephesus of this spiritual battle when he got to the sixth chapter of his letter and he said this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul didn't say, Christians, put on your picnic gear, get the sunscreen on. He didn't say, put on your dancing shoes, it's party time. He didn't say, put on your sweats and PJs and just relax. He said, armor up. Church, armor up. You are in the midst of a battle. And if you don't stand up, you will fall. The enemy will put you on your back. Now, I want to talk today about the two great forces at work in this battle. First of all, Paul identifies him right here, your adversary. He's called Satan. He's called the devil. The devil is your adversary. He has a host of other spiritual powers, evil spiritual powers that are at work with him. It's his administration. They work in a place called heavenly places. Doesn't mean they're in heaven. Heavenly places is the spiritual realm, meaning they're they're all around us. They're all around us. Now, here's the sad thing. Many in the Western culture, which we're part of, don't believe in what we cannot see. You may be one of those that says, I've never seen demons. I've never seen Satan. I don't really know if he exists. I mean, it's just, it's just our way of personifying evil. But I want to tell you, there's an actual, real, evil, spiritual being who's very powerful and very crafty. And just because you don't see him doesn't mean he doesn't exist. There are a lot of things you can't see that exist. Can you see the coronavirus? It, it's, it's there. Yeah, it's very tiny. It's, it, it, can, it can travel through some materials. We don't actually know where it is and how it all transfers, but it's out there. It's causing a lot of damage, but you can't see it with the naked eye. When my wife and I went to Arizona, we were privileged to actually take a trip this year, finally, and we got a cheap flight down to Arizona to see our daughter, Stephanie, and her family. Uh, They live in Chandler, Arizona. The temperature was over 100 degrees, very warm there. And, And in the backyard, they have a pool and these brick walls. And they said one of the problems they've had on their property is with scorpions. Scorpions can be very dangerous. They're tiny little creatures with curled tails that can sting you and infect you with poison. And so they've had their property treated for scorpions, uh, but they're still there. They still find them every now and then in weird places. And you don't want to step on a scorpion while walking in bare feet in your backyard. So one night we went looking for scorpions. You know how you do that? You, you take a black light, you go out when it's dark, and you shine it in places where a scorpion might hide, like under bushes, on walls, in corners. <clears throat> so we walk over to one, one corner and we shine the black light, and sure enough, there's two scorpions on the brick wall. You know, uh, black lights can expose a lot of things, some, some things you don't really want to know about. We had a <clears throat> we've had cats before. Black lights expose cat urine. If you have a cat, I don't recommend you take a black light and go around your house because you won't like what you find. 
Because what you find is every, every place where the cat has decided to relieve itself has left a mark. And it's almost, it's almost like it's better I didn't know that. You know, I wonder sometimes if God says, would you like me to shine a black light on your spiritual life to let you know wherever demonic powers are at work in your life? Some of you would be terrified. Yes. Right there, it, it's hands on. It, there's a de- demonic hand on your remote control. There's a couple of them right there by your keyboard, your computer keyboard late at night. In fact, they bring buddies when it's dark. It's right there when you're in your closet with your clothes and things you treasure. It's by your checkbook, your wallet. It's influencing how you spend your money. You know, we need to pay attention to the fact there really is a spiritual realm around us and there is someone called the devil who is our adversary. The word Satan actually literally means adversary. He's the one against you. He's the one that, that is against your soul, connecting with God. He's against your spiritual growth. He's against your marriage. He's against your family. He's against your business. Six times Paul says that, that there's this power that we're against. There's resistance it's fighting against you. Do you recognize that? There's, someone, there's a spiritual being that wants you to fail in every area where God wants you to succeed. So there's pressure going on all around us. And these rulers, these authorities, these cosmic powers and spiritual forces, it's like Satan is very organized. These are, these are, these are political terms. It's a hierarchy. Did you know there's, God has angels at different levels? We don't have time to go into all that, but there are some angels that are, that are at a higher level. Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer was one of them. Lucifer is Satan. And he has under him a hierarchy, generals and, and sergeants. And if we use military terminology, he's got layers that carry out his work. And sometimes you think, you know, Satan is out there doing something. It is, but it's through his agents. Because Satan can only be in one place at one time. And Paul warns us, he says, put on your armor so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes, he's crafty, strategizes. What's his, what's his strategy? Well, strategy can be tied to his titles. And I want to give you four of those to let you be aware of what he's trying to do in our lives. First of all, he's the liar who seeks to deceive. Jesus called him the father of lies. Now, you probably have heard this before. Uh, how do you know when a politician is telling a lie? Their mouth is moving. Yeah, right? Now, that's an exaggeration. There are some good politicians out there. God bless them. But here, here's the truth. How do you know when Satan is lying? Whenever he speaks. Why? Because that's his language. That's his language. He speaks with deceit. And the book of Revelation gives a lot of different um, descriptions of this evil personages. And it says this, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Oh, my goodness. His influence is everywhere. His influence is everywhere. That's why when Jesus came, Satan says, you want a piece of my kingdom? I own it all. I own it all. All over the world I've deceived people. People think that if they worship this, this, this uh, metal idol that they're going to connect with the spiritual being. Some people over here believe if they worship the wind and the rain and the sun that they're connecting with God and I've deceived them. Got people in this land that believe they can work their way or be morally good enough. He says, I've deceived them all. 
He's a deceiver. He deceives the whole world. That's why it's so hard to find truth. Where do you find it? Which, which TV station? What news program? What magazine? What website? Where do you find the truth? I mean, there's so many people out there that are filtering, that are distorting, that are twisting, that we, we really don't know what's true and what's not true. But I'll tell you this. I, I just, I throw my weight onto what Jesus did. Thy word is truth. That this book contains truth. Can you tell me another source of truth that you can turn to that tells you where you came from, why you're here, how you should live, and where you're going? Any source, any source. This book clearly tells those things. And I know it's tough to understand, and I know there's big things in this Bible, but I'll tell you this, there's no book that comes close to the truth that we, that we uncover when we dig into his word. We have to be people that are devoted to God's truth. Satan is a liar. And he will deceive you if you're not living your life on the truth. Secondly, he's a tempter who seeks to trap. He seeks to trap you. After Jesus was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to do what? To be tempted by the devil. He is a tempter. He tempts people. Now, the devil can't make you sin. When I was a, a child, I used to watch a show called The Flip Wilson Show with my mother. And Flip was a great comedian. And every now and then, he'd have this phrase like, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil can't make you do anything. But here's what he does do. He, makes, he, he doesn't make anybody sin, but he makes sin look so good. I mean, he makes sin look very appealing. He sets the bait. He sets the trap. You know, when Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, he said that, that there's some people that oppose what Timothy was trying to do, the work of God. And he said, you got some people that oppose you. He said, but, but treat them gently, teach them, instruct them with this hope that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. By the way, he's, he's talking to people in his church. That they'd come to their senses and escape what? The snare, the trap of the devil after they've already been captured by him and are doing his will. That's Satan's goal. He wants to trap you into sin so that you start to like that sin so much that now he can shape your thoughts and thinking and pretty soon you become his instrument in the world, carrying out his will. See, Satan doesn't need to spend a lot of time with unbelievers. They're already walking in his ways. But if he can get a believer to compromise and to start to embrace sin as something good, he can start to play with your mind and pretty soon you become the agent that he is using to do his will. I know we all want to do God's will. But if you're not fighting off temptation, the very likelihood is you're doing someone else's will and it's not good. How do you fight this? Well, don't take the bait. When I first got a cell phone, I used to get excited when I got a number from out of, out of town. Like, woohoo, someone out of town, maybe a friend from college, I don't know, someone, someone needs to talk to me. So I would look at my phone and answer, and it was a solicitor. It'd be someone wanting to talk to me about something that I don't even want to talk about, and it'd be hard to get them off the phone. And so now I'll get a call from a place I've never been to, like Otis, Colorado, Granada, Colorado. Never even heard of these places. Granada, Colorado, where's that? 
and I just block it. I don't even, I don't even answer. I don't even give them the, the, the time of day. I don't even say hello to that person. And when Satan dangles a bait, whether it be an image on a computer screen, whether it be a social media post that you just feel something rising up in you that you got to respond to, whether it be something in your life that you feel like, man, I just, just, part of me just wants to go after that and take it. You say, wait a minute. There's a trap here. Someone set a trap here. I see it now. I see that trap. I'm not going to take it. Bye. And you get away from it as quickly as you can. He's a tempter who seeks to trap you. Thirdly, he's the accuser who seeks to condemn you. The prophet Zechariah was given a vision by the Lord. And it says that God showed me this. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So it's like a court scene. In his courtroom, there's the judge, God. And next to, to him is this evil being, Satan. And he's there as a prosecuting attorney. Because he's got his notes. He's built a case. He knows the charges that could be levied against that person. Same with you. Book of Revelation calls him the accuser of the brethren. Here's what happens. When you, when you listen to the deceptive lies of Satan and you give in to sin, pretty soon he starts to bring to mind how guilty you are before God. Oh, man, you really blew it now. You're condemned. God, you're unworthy of the gospel. And so for a believer, guilt, guilt can be a, a destructive thing. You know, guilt can drive us to the Lord, and that's a good thing. It's good to feel guilt about the wrongs we've done. But when you're a believer and you've given your sins to the Lord, we shouldn't carry around guilt forever. Now, if you continue to walk in sin and there's guilt, you need to deal with it again, repent again. But once you've done that, leave it in the Lord's hands. The blood of Christ covered that. See, that's why it's so important for us to remember what was accomplished at the cross. The reason we take communion every Sunday as a church is so we never forget what the blood of Christ did for us. Now, I know in our culture, we don't understand the concept of that, but blood in ancient cultures was the symbol of life. Blood was life. Jesus gave his life so that you could have life. And we remember the bread and we take the juice. It's a powerful reminder of what God has done for us in Jesus. And people in satanic cults, people in, in some pagan religions have a great aversion to the blood of Christ. Even people who've cast demons out of people say that demons do not like you calling on the blood of Christ. When I was in um, seminary, I did a research paper on spiritual warfare. And one of the books, of the dozens of books I read was by a lady named Doreen Irvine. She was a, a witch who came to know Jesus Christ. And she said she'd visit churches, but, but she couldn't find a church that knew how to deal with her past, how to get rid of the baggage of her witchcraft. And so what would happen is she'd sit in church and she said when it would come time for communion and the tray was passed to her, her hands would begin to violently tremble like she had severe Parkinson's and the juice would go flying everywhere. And she knew why. Because of her background, the blood of Christ was something demonic spirits wanted nothing to do with. And she knew that there was a spiritual battle right then and there. And that became very real for me a couple years ago when at our early service, a lady walked into our service a little bit late, went right down here in the front row, and she was very animated during worship. I mean, very animated, caught everybody's eye like, wow, that lady's really getting into it. I mean, hands going everywhere, kind of bizarre gestures. 
And, and I thought, this, this person doesn't look normal. There's some look on this lady's face that tells me we may be dealing with someone being demonized. And I said, I'm going to watch what happens during communion. So the trays got passed. She took this back when he passed the trays. She got a little cup of juice. And I tell you not, she could not lift it to her mouth. Her arm like froze. She, she got to hear and she then took her hand and she's going like this, trying to get it to her lips. And I thought, oh my goodness. This is probably the real deal. And I was, she was sitting right down here on the end of that row and I was sitting on the end of that row. I scooted over right next to her and I began to pray over her. And she stayed for the rest of the service. She left afterwards, never came back. Our guilt has been covered through the blood of Christ. We are not condemned because of what Jesus has done for us. He has forgiven us. He's given us grace. It's not an excuse to sin, but our guilt has been removed. We're free. Fourthly, Satan is called the murderer because he seeks to destroy you. When Jesus was speaking to a group of religious leaders, the Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil. See, they said, no, we're Abraham's children. He goes, no, you're not. You don't act anything like Abraham. You're of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, he's taken him all the way back to the beginning of time. And you might remember that, that Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because Abel offered a better sacrifice. Cain was jealous of him. And it said of Cain that, that sin is crouching at your door. We're going to talk next week how Satan likes to come right alongside sinful desires. But, but why sin is crouching at the door, it's like Satan is crouching at your door, prompting you to murder your brother. But actually, the murder goes back even further to Adam and Eve. Because when Satan deceived them to take of the fruit, to rebel against God's command, God had told them, in that day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And from that day forward, they removed from the Garden of Eden, from the presence of God and all the blessings God had given them. They began to die, not physically, but spiritually. And here's Satan's goal, to destroy your spiritual life. If he can destroy your physical life in the process, that's okay too, but he really wants to go after your soul. And here's my concern in the 2020 pandemic, is that I'm watching, and I've been warned of this by, by some church consultants that have said, pastors, do not be surprised. Many of your church people, church people will not come back when this is over. And I'm seeing it. Why is that? Because many people began to drift, began to disconnect from the fellowship, stayed out of God's word, weren't devoted to prayer, and have lost interest in spiritual things. I mean, they, they would say they still love God. They just say, you know, I can love God from a distance now. I can watch worship and sermons whenever I want to. Yet what's happening is it's, it's like a fire. It's like if, if you got a, a fire and you separate the logs, one over here, one over there, one over there, one over there, what happens to that fire? It dies. Do you think that isolating people from one another during this period has not had drastic emotional and spiritual implications. It's destroying the souls. And I just want to pray, God, slap us on the bottom, wake us up. There's a spiritual battle going on, and if we are not engaged in it, we will be defeated by it. We will become prisoners of war of this evil power. He is crafty. He is unrelenting. He is strong. 
but he doesn't compare to one who conquered sin, death on the cross, Jesus Christ. Satan may be your adversary, but Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your advocate. In the book of John, 1 John, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Again, it's a legal term. You have a lawyer who speaks on your defense. In the courtroom of God, when the enemy comes in to accuse you, you have an advocate who speaks for you, who fights for you, who represents you. And who is it? None other than Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good lawyer, isn't it? That's the one I want to have on my side, don't you? Jesus is by the side of the Father in heaven. That's where he ascended to, to the right hand of God. He is advocating for us. While Satan is against you, he is for you. Read Romans 8. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. In fact, Romans 8, Paul, Paul asks this question, who is to condemn? Who's going to condemn us as God's children? He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at where? The right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it was like, it is finished. I don't have to do that ever again. But now I'm in a position as the priest who offered the final sacrifice to be at the right hand of God to daily, always intercede for my children in prayer. Back when this pandemic started, March 23rd, preached a sermon on Jesus called Jesus is Praying for You. It was his high priestly prayer. If you want to go back and listen to that. But, but Jesus prayed for us before he left this planet. He prayed for many things, that we'd be united, that we'd be sanctified by the truth, that the world would, would, would be one through our testimony. Jesus is praying for us. That's what intercession is. He's speaking on our behalf and he calls us to intercede with him. That's what prayer is. It's us in our priestly role joining Jesus in his prayers. See, Jesus can pray all he want, wants, but until we link with his prayers, those blessings from heaven can't come. That's why we call upon his name. We cry out to him. See, so many people are chattering on social media when we should be talking to God about people and talking to people about God. Paul says after he gives the spiritual armor, and we don't have time to go through all that armor because I just want to focus on one piece of it. It's not really a piece of armor. It's, it's an activity. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 18, that we should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says, to that end, keep alert. What's going on? What's going on around me? There's stuff happening. I need to be aware. I need to be alert. If, 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 if you're walking into a war zone, man, your head's on a swivel. You're looking everywhere. Like, what's going on? What does that mean? What's happening over there? That's Paul saying that. Be aware. Don't be casual. Don't be passive. Be alert and be prayerful. See, the devil cannot stop your prayers. Your prayers. The weakest believer, the youngest Christian, age-wise, spirit-wise, whatever. Any prayer that, that leaves your lips goes straight to God, unhindered, straight to the Father. But while Satan can't stop your prayers from reaching God, he can discourage you from praying. He can make you think that prayer makes no difference at all. 
He can make you feel that your prayers aren't as good as their prayers and don't really work. He can make you think that prayer is for certain Christians, but not all. He can make you feel discouraged when you have prayers that go unanswered. But don't let him do that to you. You just got to start praying. You see, I love the fact that he tells us to be alert. Because frankly, I'm, I'm going to say something. Some of you are going to take it the wrong way, so make sure you hear me right. I'm getting tired of people always saying, be safe. Because ultimately, if I want to be safe, I'll just go lock myself in the room. I won't, I won't go out and do anything. I'll just be safe. Now, I'm not advocating be careless. That's what I want to point out. I'm not advocating being careless, being reckless. But when you're going into war, aren't there other words of encouragement we should be giving? I mean, can you imagine a commander getting their, his unit all fired up for battle? Guys, get your weapons on. Get ready. We're going to charge out here. And remember, be careful. What? Careful? We're gonna, they're shooting at us. We're shooting at them. And be careful? What do you mean? You know, football coach is, is, is having his, firing his team up. You know, they're going to take on Goliath for the state championship and get his team, players all fired up and we can beat them and give it your best. And one last reminder, be careful. Be careful. I'm throwing my body at people. I could break bones. What do you mean be careful? What, what do you want me to do? How about be wise? Be alert. You know, what the, you know what the most common command in Scripture is? Be strong and courageous. I mean, of course, again, be careful, be wise. But, but carefulness can't be the end goal because you cannot live in a dangerous world and, and always say, stay safe. I mean, can you imagine God sending his son to this earth and say, Jesus, you're going to come down and die on a cross. They're going to strip you. They're going to beat you. They're going to pound nails through your hands. They're going to put a crown of thorn on your heads. Stress the spear into your side. But be careful. Be careful. <sighs> be careful. But be courageous. Be alert. Be active in the fight. Keep your eyes open. There is a spiritual war. I love this passage where Paul, you know, Colossae was a city near Ephesus, and he writes a similar letter. But in that letter... He says to, says to the church, Epaphras, one of their members, who's worked with Paul, he says, he is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. The New International Version uh, phrases it this way. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Always, always, always what? Always wrestling in prayer. Prayer, prayer is wrestling? I sit down at the dinner table and we say grace. That's not wrestling. That's not, that's not intense praying either. That's not battle prayer. For many of us, we need to, we need to get off our bottoms, off the couch of watching binging, binging TV shows and movies, scrolling computer screens, and get on our knees and engage in the battle. And we need to be calling out to the Lord and if you're not wrestling in prayer, I, I just, I wonder if you're really praying. Because I know from experience, it's hard. It's hard to stay focused. 
It's hard to turn off all the distractions and, and, and pour these requests out to God. It's hard to articulate the, the right words to say to God what, what, what's in the heart. I mean, it's, it's wrestling. Who am I wrestling against? Well, one is, who do who'd Paul say you're wrestling against? Spiritual forces who don't want you to pray. And many of us, oh, I'll pray when I feel like it. Don't pray because it needs to be prayed. Pray because we'll lose the battle if we don't pray. I believe that God says, I would do far more in this world if believers would pray than they're seeing right now. And our situation is so serious right now. Here's my fear, is that, is that a few years down the road, we will look back and go, what happened to America? And God says, what happened to my church? What happened? You guys... Weren't responsible for the government's decisions, but you were responsible to pray and you didn't. And I was armed and ready to do. I'm all around you. I've got angels ready to release to your aid, but you did not call upon my name. Our government leaders need our prayer. Do you know that God says in this word, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives generously. Do you think our, our government leaders need wisdom right now? Yeah. Do you think our medical professionals need wisdom right now? Yes. Do you think our school administrators need wisdom right now? They're struggling. They're all struggling. They don't have the answers. And they know, like I know, that most answers are going to frustrate a lot of people. You know, the Monday night we had a prayer service here. We had a great week of revival this week. I think it's the foundation of what God's going to do in our community in the years to come. But we had a prayer meeting here Monday night in that room and part of the prayer night was in small groups. And we had a high school girl. And I know, Kata, you're here this morning, but I'm going to use your story. She was in my prayer group and we were praying for the schools. And she said, God, don't make us go back to online classes. We miss our friends. We miss our teachers. Please, don't make us do it again. Kids are tired, friends. They don't want Zoom school. They really don't. I've got parents frustrated saying, Is this, do I need to pull my kids out and homeschool? What do I do? I've got a job. I can't be home. I've got school officials, principals, superintendents saying, man, what do we do? We've got political pressures over here. We, 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 we've got parents over here. We've got kids here with teachers who are afraid. I, I, know, I know so many teachers who really want to just teach kids. They don't want to do it online. They want to do it in person. And yet they're being told they can't, can't do it the way they want to do it right now. You know, when our daughter was, was little, we had a nice term for her bottom called the, her popo. You know, sit on your popo. But we need to get off our popo and talk to our papa. And we're going to do that this morning. And I really felt this message was important today. And I, I interrupted the series we were in because prayer is of the essence for our schools right now. And, our, and frankly, our teachers are begging churches to pray. So I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for three groups. I want to pray for our administrators, faculties. I want to pray for our parents. And I want to pray for our kids. And by the way, 
if, if there's a child near, well, I have to be cautious. I would say lay your hands on them, but maybe that's not appropriate in this culture we're in now. Um, but, but our hearts, ultimately, school is for the kids. It's such a critical time of their life. So would you join me in coming together as a church by to pray for our own community, our city, and our school. So Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, claiming the fact that you say if any of us lacks wisdom, you will give it. And we need it. We desperately need it, Father. We need it all over government and medicine. But Lord, right now, we ask you, give it to our school administrators, to the politicians making decisions, to the school boards and superintendents to the faculty, Lord, as they wrestle through these issues. Lord, I know that so, so many of them have their hearts in the right place. They want to be with the kids. They want to teach the kids, but they, they, they know there's realities that they're dealing with. But Father, I pray that you'd give them wisdom. I pray that they would, they would devise a plan that would be a great plan that would bless our kids. Father, I pray for the teachers, so many who got into the profession because they love students. They didn't get it in, in, into teaching for the paycheck. And Lord, they, they care about these kids and they care about their lives and they care about their education and I pray that you give them courage I pray that you give them wisdom and if those have to do some things online Lord I pray that you give them ingenuity and, and desire to make it exciting for these kids but Father I pray most of all for the kids from the littlest ones all the way to the big ones Father even college students Lord, I pray these these kids don't want to do online school. You can only learn so much on a computer screen. There's something that happens that's almost miraculous when you're in someone else's presence. Even Jesus brought disciples to be with him. So Lord, I pray that these kids could be with each other, be with their teachers. They could learn from them. They could have this information and life lessons poured into them. I pray, Lord, that the social connectivity that they have with their friends, Lord, their, their social lives have been ripped apart. And of course, they love their families, but they need friendships, Lord. You made us for, for relationships. So I pray, Lord, that you'd make that possible. And Father, I pray for the churches of our community, Lord, because they fill a great void. Our churches are able to do things that sometimes the schools can't do. And so kids are already meeting. They're already worshiping. They're already studying your word. And I pray, Lord, you bless the ministries, bless our children's ministry in the next month as we reopen that. I pray, Father, that we can offer as a church something that, that speaks truth into kids' lives, that they can hold on to something that will, that will make a difference for eternity. And so, Lord, bless us as a community. We know, Lord, that you want to do far more than we can do on our own. And so we cry out in the name of Jesus. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. Well, we are going to sing. And I want you to proclaim this. There is a spiritual battle all around you. And there are evil beings, but there are also good beings around. God has angels surrounding us. And Jesus himself is right here with us. You can't see him. It doesn't mean he's real. He's right here. And we are going to fight our battles through praise and through prayer. It's going to start right now.